0: Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. We're recording this live from the Oval during England's ODI against Pakistan. I'm Yaz and today I'm joined by the magazine editor of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine, Joe Harmon. Good to have you on, Joe. Thanks, Yaz. And for the first time, we're delighted to be joined by Wasim Khan, MBE, the first British born Pakistani to have a county cricket contract and the current managing director of the Pakistan Cricket Board. Really grateful having you on. Great to be here, yes. Um. First of all, do we, should we just clear up your, your role at the moment? Because there's a news story recently saying that a few board members at the PCB weren't quite happy with your appointment. Just to clarify, you are still the managing director.
2: As far as I know, unless yeah? something's happened yeah. while I've been here. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it's sort of a bit of a common occurrence over there, actually, in, in Pakistan. Um, yeah, I, I think what basically happened is we're going through quite a, a lot of domestic reforms at the moment, which means that um, there's a lot of change going on. And I think that there's a huge resistance to change in Pakistan, which I think the prime minister is finding in many things that he's trying to do. Um, so which, what's culminated in was five regional presidents who sit on the board uh, deciding that they were going to um, put a petition forward um, asking for the removal of the MD role. Which is um, you. Which is me. So that they kept talking about it being not about me, but the role itself, mm. saying it was unconstitutional and not in the constitution. Um, considering they'd been part of that board four months earlier which had voted for it mm-hmm. uh, it made a bit of a farce of it but nevertheless it was something that um they wanted to cause a bit of upheaval uh they walked out the board meeting uh, suffice to say nothing really came of it apart from a lot of media stuff going on about myself in tv over there i woke up the following morning to find all seven news channels running a story on me mm-hmm. um but um you know, that's the kind of thing that you find over there. Politics and cricket are the only two big things that run, but thankfully I'm still in post and uh, still very much uh, focused on, on the job that I've got to do.
0: It even got to the stage where the Prime Minister had to get involved.
2: Yeah, the Prime Minister, yeah, he's a patron of the cricket board. Uh, basically he said, we need to put an end to this nonsense yeah. and move on. Uh, he's been hugely supportive of the reforms that we're trying to put in place because he's trying to do something similar within the government. Uh, but, uh, but no, all, all good so far and, uh, you know, we're still fully focused on what we've got to do.
0: Um, Kind of relates that. What's your moment of the week?
2: Moment of the week goes back to uh, the prime minister actually, and you know, uh, you know, how many prime ministers around the world um, would, in the middle of a political speech, start talking about reforms to the domestic structure?
1: Not enough. That's the <laughs> yeah <laughs> right
2: right. So so yeah. So uh, he was uh, doing prime minister Imran Khan was doing a speech about two days ago, um, addressing um, a, a, a sort of a, a lobby and and a big group of people about various things around the economy, and then moved on to the domestic structure and how important it was. So, you know, couldn't really ask for anything more, to be honest yeah. with you, as, a, as a, the Pakistan Cricket Board is trying to drive reforms and changes. You've got an ex-test ex captain who's, uh, who's also the Prime Minister.
1: It just goes to show that the the reach of cricket in Pakistan and it's almost incomprehensible to, to us in England that we would, I mean, I know obviously it creates some issues as you just described, but we would love that level of passion and interest in, in cricket in this country. I guess that's what we're, we're fighting for. And on the one hand, it's extremely positive. The flip side is, it's a very demanding role that you've, you've taken on. Um, and the fans can be unforgiving, because they're so desperate for their side to do well, um are you prepared for that for that aspect of it?
2: Yeah look you know you go, you go down to the shops and you wherever you go around, people want to debate um selection you know there's a, there's a huge well there's a, quite a big rivalry between Lahore and Karachi, particularly through the media, and you know there, there's a mix of players from from both both cities, so people are constantly pushing for players from their own city and um you know people want to debate cricket you know they're so passionate about it politics and cricket are the two big things in the country but you know i'd rather have it that way than you know be be trying to get people interested in the sport uh, and trying to get people passionate about the national team, you know, the reason why they want to have debates and they get quite heated is because they're so passionate for the country. It's probably no different in India or Sri Lanka or Bangladesh. So, um, you know, I see as, as us being very fortunate rather than it being a, a hindrance or mm. something, you know, something sitting on my shoulder constantly.
0: It'd be a bit weird. I think if Theresa May was talking about the Royal London one day cup and, uh, <laughs> talk about the structure there.
1: A welcome distraction. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh.
0: True, true. Um, let, let's go on and move to the England-Ireland ODI that seemed like a long time ago, but it was in the last week. Uh, England were given a bit of a scare, chasing 199. Ireland pegged them back to 66 for 5 and then 101 for 6 before Ben Folk's on debut. And Tom Curran guided England home with three over to spare. Uh, that game was also notable as it was Joffre Archer's England debut. Waz, have you seen much of Joffre Archer? He's, he's
2: quite yeah. exciting, isn't he? Just taking a wicket outside, very, actually. Very exciting. Um he's um you know, I first saw him uh, I was the chief executive at Leicestershire yeah. um prior to joining um pack the P C B and for two seasons we, we you know, I saw him at first hand and I remember the first time you, you see him he kind of lollops in and you don't think a great deal but you Coming know it, it's incredible, hour. yeah, particularly his bounce and you only need to speak to the batters. But you know, his rise has been fantastic and it's great to see him out there representing England.
0: Yeah, um Joe, did you do you think we've learned anything from that game from an England point of view?
1: It's hard to say, obviously, it was partially second string uh, and it wasn't a great performance, to be honest. And it was after a difficult period for England with the Alex Hales business. Um, I think in retrospect, I know, Morgan might look back on that game and say it was a, it was a welcome challenge. Just to blow Ireland away wouldn't have been particularly useful at that point. Um, I think it also showed the depth that Ben Foulkes came in and, and won England the match, effectively. A guy who
0: realistically is probably going to have a very little chance of playing the well, World Probably up. the least chance of anyone yeah. in that side, yeah.
1: actually. And um, it was a really big game for Tom Curran as well, who took some wickets, scored some runs. He's one of those players that, will he, won't he, lose his place to Joffre Archer Very that calm squad. under pressure, Tom Curran. Very calm under pressure. And he seems to have, I mean, his batting seems to have come on leaps and bounds from from his time in the big bash um so i think th- there were positives to take from a not very good performance um i don't know if there's necessarily that much they can learn in terms of individuals particularly i think it probably archer didn't have his best day with the ball but has shown in that game and i think the pakistan t20 that will come on to as well that this is why everyone wants him in that squad
0: well yeah then on sunday england played pakistan in uh, what i've been saying for a while is a truly pointless game was why was there a T20 international schedule just before a 50 over World Cup? Uh, it's
2: a good question. I can't really answer that, to be honest. Is it with you? Before your time. This before was this my sort of time, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. A lot of the stuff is before my time. Yeah. So <laughs> all, all the good stuff was during my time. And, you know, any contentious stuff, well, you know, I'm sorry, I've only been in the job three months. Yeah, I
0: mean, I don't think, again, we learned that much. Really. It
1: was mean, good fun. It, yeah. was a, it was a really good game, wasn't it? Yeah. I, it was one of those ones that, not so long ago, you'd have thought England probably wouldn't have got over the line there. And actually, watching it, I didn't really have any doubt that they would even against a very strong Pakistan number one batting ranked up. T20I side in the world really yeah and yeah formidable bowling attack I just thought at the end with Morgan hitting that 6 to win it there's just something about and we've talked about this before mm. but the way he leads that side and he's so in control of everything that he does and seemingly that that team does I just didn't have any doubt that he gets across and it's such a lovely place for an English cricket fan to be that you just kind of back him in those pressurised situations mm. to do what he needs to.
0: A rare display of emotion from Morgan as well when it he was, hit the match six For a pointless T20 yeah. as, as you say. Sorry. <laughs> as I mentioned earlier we are we are here at the Oval watching England play Pakistan right now. Uh, Joffre Archer is running in. He's bowling very well. He's taken an early wicket. Pakistan 15 for one at the moment. Moeen Ali is missing from England today. He's out with a, um, a rib injury, not, not supposed to be anything serious. But it does mean that there's an opportunity for spin bowling all-rounder Joe Denley uh, to impress Um, I don't want to talk about it too much because we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but Liam Dawson, who's arguably been the player of the Royal London One Day Cup, has been name-checked by Trevor Bayliss as someone who's still in with a shout of being picked in the final 15-man squad and might be added to the current squad for the series against Pakistan. Um, To be honest, what I've been talking about him recently has been tongue-in-cheek. I didn't think he'd actually be in with a shout to get picked in the World Cup squad, um, wh- how do you see that denley Dawson scenario playing out?
1: I was a little bit surprised by Bayliss's quotes yesterday. I mean, I, to give him his dues, he he is quite straight talking, and and I, it seemed to put a bit of pressure on a bloke they've only just picked in Joe Denley. And sure, Liam Dawson's been doing brilliant in the role under Monday Cup, but he always does very well in domestic one day cricket. I don't think anything has mm. changed. That. My thing a little bit is that Bayliss is since Bayliss come in, he's always been very keen on Dawson that's my impression whereas Denley to me feels like Ed Smith's pick yeah. if you look at it the chronology of the whole thing so I think I'm not saying there's any kind of friction there but I think there may be a slight kind of difference of opinion or at least an openness to seeing Dawson come in and take Denley's place if he can do enough to justify that I think he said that Dawson might come in later on in this one day series yeah. potentially so it m- we might get a kind of head-to-head scenario between Denley and Dawson
0: I mean I think it's just good to put a bit of pressure on Denley you know you don't want to make him feeling that you know, you know you're know, you in the 15 man squad whatever you've actually got five games to prove yourself before the squad's named uh,
1: just before the tournament starts he batted nicely uh, because he went for a few didn't he in the T20 uh, when he was bowling first two balls went for six didn't they but he batted calmly in what was a relatively pressurised situation and I think he showed the value of his experience there
0: uh, speaking of the Royal London One Day Cup, the group stages are over. Not Worcestershire, Lancashire, Liam Dawson's Hampshire, Middlesex and Somerset progress. Notts and Hampshire straight to the semi-finals and the other four are in the effective quarterfinals playoff games. Um, Joe, your moment of the week is from the Royal London One Day Cup.
1: It was. It was um, young Max Holden's first List A-100, 100, uh, 166 from 139 balls, which is Middlesex's highest ever List A score. Um, still only 21 years old, uh, left-handed opener, um, who's been talked about for a, a very long time. For a very, very long for time. a very, very long time. So actually, as I was seeing that score come through yesterday and watching some of the highlights, uh, it reminded me, we, I spoke to him Uh, five years ago as a 16 year old we did a feature for All Out Cricket Magazine which was the forerunner to the revamped Wisdom Cricket Monthly Um, and we asked county county coaches and scouts around the country who the best young players in the country were to look out for and Holden's name kept coming up he was so young I had to actually call his mum to arrange the interview with him Uh, and then I was so struck by speaking to him I mean it was like speaking to Alistair Cook Uh, he had all the same cliches ready to go I just thought this guy's if he can bat, then he's he's definitely he's definitely ready for this. And I asked for a photo for the magazine. Uh, his mum said we don't have one, but give me give me a minute. And they rushed off to the nets. Uh, she took a photo of Max in his whites and sent it back about half an hour later. So I thought she's d- he's he's definitely got the right mum in place yeah, to yeah. be an international cricketer as well. And he he's. Um, I mean, it's 21. He might have taken a little bit longer to come on than people expected. Such was his reputation at 16, 17, He's played for the Lions.
0: He did really well for North Ants last year. He
1: has, he has. He just hasn't had that kind of the big breakthrough season yet. Yeah. He did well on loan at North Ants, where I think he got his nickname, uh, Mini Chef, yeah. uh, because there is a lot of Alistair Cook about him. And I was just looking back at that interview with him and he said, Alistair Cook's my idol and he's how I want to bat. So it's great to see him really coming through. Uh, he's, he was one of those players that, sixteen, seventeen, anyone you speak to would say, This lad's gonna go and play for England if he if he keeps doing what he's doing and uh it's good to see him make that step.
0: Um this is the first time Middlesex have progressed past the group stages in a fifty over competition since the Friends Provenant Trophy in two thousand nine. In that competition, it was in the days where Ireland and Scotland took part, um was what were you doing in 2009? It was Barack Obama's first year in office, Avatar came out, Matt Smith was named as Doctor Who, very different times. I think I was,
2: I think I was busy with Chance to Shine in 2009, uh, the charity to take cricket back into state schools, and uh, I think I took over as chief exec, yeah, in 2009, having been ops director. So, uh, yeah, pretty busy time, but I remember the Barack Obama moment, yeah. um, you know, historical moment, iconic moment, I guess there's in your lifetime, um, there's going to be three or four of those moments and that was certainly one of them.
0: Elsewhere in the competition, uh, there's a great story here with Dan Duthwaite. Um, I hope I pronounced that correctly. He's got a rapid 52 not out to help Glamorgan beat Sussex. He's got a really good story. He played youth cricket Sorry, played Warwickshire seconds last year, now age 22. He started the season playing for Cardiff MCCU. He scored 100 for them against Sussex, won a contract with Glamorgan and he's proved to be quite a shrewd signing. Um, there's a great video on the Wisdom Twitter feed of him taking a, a, a wicket, bowling around the wicket, bowling with good pace nipping away and taking left handers off stump great to see somebody rise that rapidly and do so well it is, so and it's and it's
1: really good to see people coming through that MCCU system because uh, it sometimes get a bit of stick particularly early season when they're kind of early warm up fodder for some of the yeah. first class sides and you see some pretty big scores and they look one-sided and of course they are going to be one-sided games that's sort of the point yeah. really but you do need those few players coming through to almost justify that and and I, yeah I saw that ball he, I think it was Sam Van Zeel he bowled so a, a test player as well uh, yeah absolute beauty uh, and it looks like he could be quite quite quick in time as well.
2: And just the other thing on Glamorgan they've been fantastic at giving you some of the young players an opportunity um, you know, Hugh Morris and, and I think that the hierarchy take a lot of stick at Glamorgan. But, you know, in terms of the, the work they're doing, in terms of bringing some of their youth through, uh, I think they do a great job. And sometimes you have to lose out in the short term for, for long-term gain. And, and I think that their policy of backing some of their younger players, I think is also important for the next generation coming through to show, to show that actually there will be opportunities here at Glamorgan if you're good enough to play.
1: How, how did you strike that balance at, at Leicestershire with... Obviously, there's the lure of getting some experienced coal pack players, potentially with international yeah. experience in, but you've also got a proud reputation of producing young players at Leicestershire. Yeah, as I well. mean, we,
2: we, had, we had a fantastic academy. We still have a fantastic academy at Leicester where the likes of James Taylor, Stuart Broad, Luke Wright. Um, these types of guys have come through the academy system. But back into back in into 2014, the club lost six players of the homegrown players. There was a bit of a mass exodus at the back of 2014. And um, that really hit the club quite hard. It invested quite a lot into uh, those young players. They very much saw them as the future uh, moving forward, but they lost those players. And so it took quite a while to try and rebuild with that, And then you kind of need to bring in some experienced players. You go down the route of packs to try and bring a bit of solidity and try and find the balance between homegrown players and others who can add significant value as well to, to your side. And I think that's the important thing is that if you look around the country now and look at the pack players... Um, you know, majority of those now uh, bring something pretty significant and it's important that youngsters can learn off them as well. You know, it's, it's OK saying stick 11 youngsters in and, you know, but losing every game after game isn't, isn't a lot of fun. So you need to find the balance.
0: What's it like, though, from a club's point of view, when you have put so much time and money into the development of young players and a Stuart Broad, James Taylor, Luke Wright, Zach Chappell this year, they leave before they've really reach the top of their potential what's that like it's,
2: it's, it's a tough one because there's no transfer system in cricket so you could work with a player for five or six years nurture them bring them through they could be on your staff for a year and then get lured by another county because they're paying more money and I think that's always a challenge for the non-test match grounds um, it's pretty demoralising when players do leave I mean Leicestershire last year we lost Zach Chapel to Notts you know and that happens all around the country and I think that um, you know, I think they are exploring now the ECB, some kind of compensation scheme where if you've invested in players, they've come through your academy system, but they end up moving elsewhere that you at least get compensated for the time, resources, the effort that you've put into nurturing those and bringing those through. Because ultimately, you're bringing through English qualified players. Mm. And it's important that that um, clubs like your Leicestershire's actually get rewarded for that.
1: Do you think a, a transfer fee... I, mean, I know Ian Botham uh, advocated this when Durham lost, as they seem to do all the time, lost their most promising young players. Do you think there is a... Is there room for a transfer system?
2: I think maybe not a transfer system, but um, increasingly you see, you're seeing players leaving counties with still a year left on their contracts. So counties buying counties uh, or players out of their contracts for a year. Um, but I think that, you know, cricket's always been quite unique. I think... A contract has always meant something in cricket. And I think that's where the beauty has been in football. You can sign a five-year contract and then be sold nine months later. Whereas in cricket, it's always been pretty sacrosanct in terms of having a contract. Um, and what we don't want to start to do is make it very easy for players to walk out or agents to move players mid-contract. So um, I'm not in favour of the transfer system, but what I am in favour of is to be, is have some kind of equity in um in some kind of system where teams get or counties get rewarded for producing homegrown players who'd eventually move on, um, you know, having come through their academy systems. And I think that sort of system would probably be a lot better for the game.
0: We've talked about it in the last couple of weeks. The the Women's T20 Challenge in India has started. And the first game was an epic. Smriti Mandana hit 90 for the Trailblazers. Uh, their third top score in that innings was just two. So you'd think Mandana's innings is quite important <laughs> there. Uh, and Sophie Eccleston, on her 20th birthday, took two for 11 from her four overs to help the Trailblazers to a two-run win over the Supernovas. Um, great names there, the Supernovas and the Trailblazers. And today, for playing for Velocity, Farley Verma, a 15-year-old, hit 34 runs, um, one for the future. She's only just turned 15
1: as well, uh, and she was batting with Danny Wyatt. That must have been an amazing experience for her. They could work on the names, though, couldn't they? It all sounds a bit like apprentice team names. Velocity, I think it might have been an apprentice yeah. team name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I've, I've always thought that uh, the the T Twenty nicknames have always been a bit rubbish. I can't really think of a particularly outstanding one. Um, whereas when you were at Leicestershire, did you have any involvement with uh, with the naming process?
2: No, not not really. I think the um, in terms of the current T Twenty Blast, the, the name of the Foxes was always there yeah. from the from the beginning. I think each each name is unique, I guess, to the area. Well, Worcestershire
1: uh, embraced their their problems with flooding, didn't they, with the yeah. Worcestershire <laughs> Rapids, which was quite quite admirable. Yeah, I mean. exactly.
0: Uh, in, in the men's IPL, Mumbai threw to another final after a low-scoring game against Chennai. Uh, but surely the story of the week from the IPL is Nigel Long, a member of the ICC's elite panel of empires, kicking and causing minor damage to a door after incorrectly giving a no-ball in the final over of the Sunrise of Hyderabad's innings against RCB. But crucially, it didn't actually matter that much because RCB went on to to, to win the game. That's the kind of passion you want to see from I the umpires.
1: I think that's great. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Um, how, how was this caught? How do we know he did it? I
0: think people saw it. Right.
1: He's been reported to the the BCCI. Um, Really? Yeah. I think it's great. He cares that much. It's nice. That's
0: that's brilliant. Brilliant. And, And it's a good thing that his mistake didn't didn't matter in the, in the grand scheme of things. Um, a couple of World Cup injuries that are worth talking about. Jai Richardson has been ruled out for Australia and he's been replaced by Kane Richardson, while Chris Morris has been called up by South Africa to replace the crocked and rich Nortier. Um, it's, it's a time where you, you just want to wrap all your fast bowlers up in co- cotton
2: wool. Yeah, definitely. Look, I, I think playing your five ODI series with England prior to the World Cup in English conditions is has got its pros and its cons. I think from a positive point of view, it just gives the guys good match practice in English conditions, you know, hard cricket against perhaps the, you know, one of the, the, the strongest teams in the world, but the negative side, you know, you just pray that some of your key players don't get injured. Mm. Um, and you can't really legislate for that, but you know we're very fortunate in the fact that you know we've got the five ODIs before England uh, against England prior to the World Cup, and uh, you know we've just got to use that to our advantage.
1: Where where does Pakistan stand? It's always a tricky one. Pakistan ahead of a major tournament because they haven't had great form in fifty over cricket. They had pretty terrible 50-over form before the Champions Trophy and then went and won the thing. So it feels like with Pakistan, sometimes form isn't always quite as relevant as, as you might think.
2: Yeah, look, eight of the players were rested for the ODI series against Australia in the UAE about two months ago. And, you know, the, the selectors got vilified for that because of we, we ended up losing 4-1. But, you know, there is method in the madness. No one's going to remember that series no, if Pakistan exactly. lifting the trophy Exactly. So, so, you know, at some stage, the guys had been on the road since um, September time. And, the, you know, they need a rest and, you know, they're not robots. Um, they spend ridiculous number of days in hotels now. So it was an opportunity to give the top eight players an opportunity to rest, but some of the other chan- players to have a chance to shine as well. And I think, you know, they came in and did pretty well. Um, but, you know, I think that, um, you know, in terms of preparation, um, there was a three and a half week camp before the guys came over here. Mickey Arthur worked them very, very hard uh, and, the, and the support staff. And, you know, they're as well prepared as they possibly can. We've got some exciting cricketers and uh, we're really, I guess the guys are chomping at the bits now for the World Cup to start.
0: How much do you have to do with the actual cricket side of the Pakistan team? Do you ever have conversations with Mickey Arthur and like, well, we've got five ODIs, do you want to burn out Shaheen if really too much here?
2: Yeah look uh, you know that they inzamam the, the chief selector as well he and I have good conversations uh, Mickey Arthur's conversations and we have good debates and discussions about players I can obviously come from an informed position um so we talk about and I challenge on certain decisions and you know why they're not selecting certain players and I think that's part of my job with a cricketing background as as sort of the head if you like of the PCB to be able to have those conversations and there's always needs to be checks and balances But my job really is there to challenge and perhaps get them to think about certain decisions they make. But uh, but look, I think the the decisions they've made so far have been very very good. Um, And you know, in fifty over cricket, you know, we just hope that we can get off to a flying start. But I think the format for this year's World Cup actually suits us because that was the format that was used in the ninety two World Cup. You know, where you play everybody once, and that's sort of that that sort of. Format, actually, is quite a good one for us.
1: Especially if Pakistan have been, in the past, could be known as slow starters, particularly in unfamiliar conditions. You can actually afford to lose a couple of early games whilst you find your rhythm and still qualify for that last four, can't you? You can
0: be the fourth best team by quite a long way. Qualify for the semi-finals and you're two games away from winning the World
1: Cup. I don't think anyone would want to play Pakistan in a World Cup semi-final (laughs) if they've especially made a late run to get those last four spots. Yeah, I was
2: soon catching up with Michael Vaughan over there earlier and he says, I back you guys to win it. You know, so I think there's quite a few who kind of looking at Pakistan because of what they did two years ago, um, you know, we're probably more of a balanced side. I think of the squad of 15, about 12 or 13 are exactly the same. So those young guys, your Shadabs, your Hassan Ali's, you know, with Fakhar Zaman, we've got this young guy who bowls 90 miles an hour yeah. in Mohammed Hassane. um, you know, 19 years old and, and a great talent so we've got we've got a good blend. We've got Baba Azam who's number one in the world at the moment in terms was, of T20. I was
1: going to ask you, as, a, as an elegant stroke maker yourself in, in years gone by, what about Barbarazan? I mean, he looks like a, a special, special talent.
2: Uh, you're, too, you're too kind. I'm <laughs> not sure I was an elegant stroke maker. But, uh, but no, look, he's, he, he's superb. He's, um, you know, he reminds me a lot of Mark Waugh. Not many people remember Mark Waugh in his part, but I'm old enough to, at 48 to remember Mark Waugh. But he's just very easy on the eye in terms of how he plays all around the wicket makes the game look very simple has a lot of time at the crease uh, moves quite quickly judges the length very quickly uh, and it's no surprise really that he's right at the top of the tree in terms of t20 cricket
0: in your role as the md of the pcb um, looking to the future in five years time how do you view that period of success if it was a success what would you what would be the factors that would help decide that
2: yeah look i think there's a number of number of things from my perspective Uh, one of them is that the whole domestic reforms at the moment so we're looking to go potentially down the route of six provinces we've got 16 teams currently operating we're looking to go down the route of six of six regions um, across the country so that's a big thing for us to get the domestic structure right
0: how does that work logistically because then you've got eight teams that don't exist anymore
2: no but what you look to do is you look to combine them and also, you have a have a city competition underneath. So, for example, in North Punjab, you've got cities like Faisalabad. You've got um, cities like Lahore that would come under that Sialkot. And then South Punjab, you've got you know cities like Multan and those sorts of cities. So you'd have a city competition that would feed into your provinces so that you know th- you'd have a second 11 with your provinces and a first 11 within your provinces and i think you know creating stress in the system i think is really important if you want a high quality domestic structure and i think that's what we're trying to create through that so that's going to be one measure the other one is trying to bring the whole of the psl back to pakistan which you know we had eight games this year which went fantastically well so perhaps looking at four venues in in, in pakistan to so sort we of bring that back uh, and obviously um you know, making sure that we can we can have sustainable success on the field, so we get our academies right, get our youth structures right, get the right people coaching. Um, you know, they're they're going to be really important for us as well, and try and cr- keep this young group of players together for at least the next five years.
1: And and how about international cricket back yeah. to Pakistan? Is that part of your remit? Was that one of the? task that you set yourself or were set when you took on this Can't job? I believe I missed that, absolutely <laughs> right
2: <laughs> that is, that is yeah, yeah the small job of bringing it back to Pakistan but, um, but yeah that's, that's a big part of my role as well so we've got Sri Lanka series against Sri Lanka in September we're hoping that that will be played in Pakistan but we need to have those conversations with the Sri Lanka cricket board Um, You know, we're hoping, you know, England are due to come in 21-22 and we're going to work very closely with the ECB to try and make those steps, put those steps in place so that uh, there's every chance of that happening in Pakistan in 21-22. Australia, um, similar, we've got them in 22. So, you know, it gives us enough time to start to evidence what we can do. But I think the perception and reality of the country are two different things. You know, there's this perception that it's, you know, some kind of war-torn country. But, you know, the reality is is that, you know, most of the big cities have been absolutely fine for a long period of time. Any issues have been concealed to certain parts of the north sort of west frontier. Um, You know, I live in Lahore now and, you know, I see backpackers everywhere. I see people at airports, you know, white people who have been traveling around the country for the last month, um, loving their experiences, blogging about it. So I, I think that, you know, we just need somebody to take that first step. And I think once that happens, and we can evidence what we can deliver. Uh, I, you know, we need cricket back in the country. You know, the, the the people are starved of cricket. We had the eight PSL games in Karachi and they're all sold out. We had forty forty five thousand 45,000 every single ground and probably could have sold it twice over. That's how starved people are and we need our role models playing in our country because we need the next generation of of players to look up to those role models and say, look, I want to become a Pakistan cricketer.
1: And the reports have been great from, I spoke to David Milan, I think, was it last year after the PSL? Possibly the year before that, who came back and was blown away by the experience of performing in, in front of Pakistan fans who, as they say, had been a star of cricket and had only good things to say about the whole experience as well. So it must be really useful to have the PSL almost as a platform to, take, to, to convince people who might need a bit of convincing that this is a good place to go and play yeah, cricket. Yeah,
2: definitely. And look, A.B. A- a- de Villiers confirmed very early on he would tour for those eight games, but unfortunately he was ruled out through injury. But Shane Watson came and, you know, we had Darren Bravo and Pollard, and, you know, we had Ravi Bapara and other players who came over. We had 14 um, English qualified players involved in the PSL through, during the competition uh, of the 30 odd uh, overseas players. So, you know, it's, it's a great competition. It's a good product now. You know, we've just completed the fourth season of the HBL PSL. And I think that it's you know, something we want to grow, but bring back to Pakistan, so our our supporters across the country can, can see their heroes playing.
0: I want to talk a little bit about your time at Leicester in a bit more detail. So um, so it's quite interesting hearing you talk about your role at PCB and how you're, you want to move towards a six-side provincial competition. There are some people in county cricket who want to see a reduction in the number of counties. As somebody who is uh, who's in charge at Leicester, you probably will disagree with that, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. Look, I, I think that um, because, because of the vastness as well of the country, you know, you need centres of excellence, and when you're trying to spread the game, particularly when when participation numbers are dwindling, mm-hmm. you need you need um, you need centres across the country. If you went down to six or eight, potentially in England, um, very different to Pakistan because you know people live and breathe cricket. Here, you're still constantly trying to sell the game. Um, you know, in in the sort of the midst of all other attractions that young people have got, the, you know, the, the, the football, you've got b- games, you've got online games, you've got so many things now that take up the time of young people. You know, you need as many centres as possible. And that's why it's critical to keep the T20 Blast because to T20, um, particularly with 100 ball coming in next year, where you're only going to have six um, six or eight, 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 sorry, yeah, eight centres. You need, you know, something for the, across the other 10, 10 areas or the other 10 counties where cricket... You can use T20 to, to, as a catalyst to get youngsters in, get them interested in the game, to kind of go away and go, Mum, Dad, I want to play the game. I want to play cricket. Um, they're not going to get inspired by county cricket. So you need um, T20 blast cricket in order to do that. And having 18 hubs is probably better than having eight. Are you broadly in favour of the 100 because of the money it kind of guarantees for the smaller counties? Yeah, look, I think there's been a lot of, um, uh, you know, pros and cons uh, that people have spoken about. But I think now that the 100 ball is coming in, I think everybody's behind it as a game. I think it's it's something different for the game. Uh, you know, the ECB did a great job in securing £1.2 billion for the game over the next five years. That allows you to run more participation programs, to do more for women and girls, um, to do more as accountants, you know cricket isn't sustainable in this country in terms of county cricket so therefore this extra 1.3 million a year is a lifesaver pretty much for the game so you know it's
0: a lifesaver for the, the individual counties
2: individual counties test grounds as well as um, you know as well as the, the non-international grounds you know um, so I, th- I think you know you, the bigger picture of it is, is that you know you, can you have an ideal structure no you can't Um, You've got to try and find a way that balances everything where you're going to attract the broadcasters to something new. But at the same time, try and keep the core about what you're at. And so, you know, having the T20 blast and the 100 ball, people will argue, well, is that overkill? But there are different audiences, but also different reasons why you need a 100 ball and why you need to uh, retain the T20 blast as well.
0: Well, the T20 Blast is almost for the traditionalists, isn't it? So
2: the people who actually go to county cricket,
0: the people who already are county fans. You upset some traditionalists yeah, well, out there. You've got, you got two different types of traditionalists, well, that, yeah. yeah. I think that's fair. And then the 100 appeals, obviously, to the to people who are not yet cricket fans, which is... Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. We, I mean, we talked about the 100 quite a lot on this podcast before. Cool. Well, I want to ask you about your role as a role model for the British Asian community. So we were talking about earlier. You were the first... Uh, British-born Pakistani to have a
2: county cricket contract.
0: So firstly, going back to your time as a player, do you think it was more difficult for you to rise through the ranks than a white player at the time?
2: Yeah, look, when I when I broke through, coming through in the 80s and playing club cricket and, and county age group cricket, Um, you know everybody from inner city birmingham just said look you know why are you wasting your time it's not for people like us and i think that was a message i had loud and clear but but i think one thing it proved is that if you're very focused and you've got a real clarity about where you want to go and what you want to do there's nothing that stops you in this country in terms of doing that and i always say to young kids that you know if you don't make it or you go for a job or you don't get the job it's very easy to blame a system, but actually it's a lot harder to look at yourself. But the only way you're going to improve and get better is if actually you are self-critical and you start looking, what more can I do? You know, so I, you know, did I have to do more in terms of getting a county contract at a young age? Probably did. I scored 3,000 runs across all formats in 1990 when I got a contract. I think I scored 1,700s. I was playing for England in 19s, Warwickshire second 11, Um, you know, Warwickshire under 19s, club cricket, um, but for me, it was just about enjoying the game and, um, you know, the game crosses all gender divides, all ethnic divides. And I think that's the beauty of cricket, it brings people together from, from every walk of life. And for me, it was just about playing cricket, proving what I can do. From the age of 13, I knew I wanted to be a pro cricketer mm-hmm. and I never looked at barriers. I just looked at what I could achieve, what I could do. And I think that's really, really important for youngsters coming through now.
0: It's really important for youngsters to have role models. So so I'm I'm British Asian I was born here. Uh, a lot of my family from Pakistan and I remember when I was younger I would, my uncles would always give me Pakistan shirts and as a, as a really young child uh, I was a Pakistan fan because that's all I knew um, but I'd lived my entire life here English was the only language I spoke I couldn't speak a word of Urdu. Um, but I remember Nasser Hussein was England captain I was like hang on this guy's this guy's a brown guy he's the England captain and for me that was really important and also at a young age people uh, battle with questions of national identity and cultural identity and actually having uh, a, a brown player to look up to. I think it's so important for young people. Um, you were not only a trailblazer as a as a player, but also as an administrator. You were saying that in your time at Leicestershire, you were the only brown or black CEO
2: um, in in all any British black sport. or ethnic minority um, chief executive across any professional sporting club. That's extraordinary.
1: And you're saying now that you've left, that means we are I precisely uh, yeah, zero. I don't, I don't do think, think there
2: is. I don't think there is any other. Wh- um,
0: why is it? Do you think that? even in 2019, we're in that position.
2: I'm not sure. I I think that um, when people talk about participation, particularly amongst the the black and uh, minority ethnics, they they immediately talk about participation. But I always talk about, you know, well, there's room room for administrators. You know, don't just think about coaching. Don't just think about playing. Think about what you can offer as an administrator, you know, because, you know, South Asians, you know, by and large, you grow up within families. You've got a good business head on you. You've got a passion for the game. There's value you can add. But like anything, you need opportunities to prove yourself. And I was fortunate to get the opportunity at Leicestershire, having been at Chance to Shine for nine years. Um, But, um, you know, a lot of people don't get opportunities or they they become disheartened because they don't. They see a stat of me being the only one. And think, well, what's the probability of me getting an opportunity is going to be pretty low. But, you know, all I I say is, you know, try and push through those glass ceilings and and try and push through because opportunities are there for you but you 've got to you 've got to be savvy, I think in this world you 've got to be politically intelligent as well as anything else, and you 've got to find a way of maneuvering yourself through it without losing your values and what you 're about but But you know and I try to do that in order to progress within the game and um, the game has been very kind to me, having played but also gone through the ranks of being administrator um, if i hadn 't had the opportunity at Leicestershire i wouldn 't be sitting here now as the m d of the pcB so i 'm very thankful um, for what the game has given me. Um, And all I say is that, you know, if you've got a dream to be involved in the game, you know, don't let small obstacles stand in your way. Um, You know, you've got to fight through that. You've got to be resilient like anything. Um, I think that it's very easy now to to be living in a blame culture. Uh, And I don't and I just say, look, just accept that unconscious bias and, and, you know, racism exists in this world. You know, once you acknowledge that, then I think you're constantly looking for ways of finding a way through it rather than constantly saying, Oh, well, I didn't do this because of, I didn't get this opportunity because of. Just accept that it exists. Um, a lot of the time it exists within people rather than systems. Um, although you can argue that they eventually become part of that well, that's what that system becomes. But, you know, generally, you know, I find, you know, people are tolerant in England. We're very fortunate to be living in England or having living in England all my life where the tolerance levels are very high. People are good people. Uh, you just have you know, in any society, you have good people and bad people. Doesn't matter what religion or background they're from. Um, but opportunities are here, and I think it's important we get more people from black and ethnic minority backgrounds trying to get into mainstream cricket, trying to get in not only playing the game but also administration, rising to the top chances are there if you look at the ECB now, you know, there's there's a number of people now in senior positions from, from Asian backgrounds. So the opportunities are there. So you just got to break through that. And I don't buy this whole excuse about, well, it's, yeah, you're lucky and, you know, you know uh, you're know, you very lucky to get through. I was lucky because I made my own luck. I worked hard and, and I learned how to get through and how to move myself forward. I never once blamed any system for that. Well, on
0: that note, thanks so much for coming on. Well, wow, it's been really fascinating. Uh, Joe thanks for coming on
1: thanks for what about your moment of the week Yes.
0: oh my moment of the week oh thanks can't for can't forget reminding. that this is actually out of all of the moments me coming on the show or not well was that, a, next moment? That's was that next a bad week? moment no that's, that's for next week um, I'm actually really glad you'd me because this is one of my favourite moments of the week ever um, so I don't know if you guys remember when Virat Kohli uh, was videoed having a net session and that went viral went he absolutely looked, nuts He, 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 was, he looked it? awesome yeah. Um, but this week well, Australia did a very similar thing with Steve Smith but he didn't look very good he, looked, he, was, all over, he was all over the place I couldn't believe that they posted this online uh, Mitchell Stark was bowling at him and I guess it's a good sign to see Mitchell Stark bowling that well but uh, Steve Smith was all over the place and, uh, and there was one ball that turned at him and you could hear Steve Smith just like oh gee turned. Um, that turned and that was a great video if you can find it online definitely have a watch yeah it was a, it was a brilliant moment do that Aspen. again how did it go Colin.
2: What did Steve Smith say?
0: Oh jeez, that turned. It was really, it was um yeah. That that was one hundred percent my moment of the week. Um Brilliant. but yeah, on that note, cheers guys. Uh, cheers listen, Yaz. listeners Thanks, Yaz. listeners, if you like the podcast, share it on the internet. We'll see you again next week. Goodbye.
1: Podcast Network.